This is Emily. And this is Sarah. And this is Sisters Take a Side on the mystery about the 2,571st victim of 9-11. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Good morning. Good morning. Guess what today is? Today's recording day. Because here we are. day. Post-Thanksgiving hype. I know. How are we feeling about that? I am like a human garbage disposal. I have not Fantastic. stopped eating since like Wednesday. Well, tell the people what you're eating right now. We had to – we could not start recording <laughs> because Sarah needed to go get herself a snack. Tell the people – everyone did. is dying to know. What are you eating? Um, I am eating a homemade pumpkin and cream cheese muffin with a brown sugar crumble topping. Delicious. I mean – Look, she can't even answer me because she's eating a cream cheese muffin. Okay. We should, can, can we get to it? We, yeah. Yeah. Why don't you tell us what we're talking about this week while I well, you get enjoy your brown cheese sugar muffin. crumble off my fingers? Okay. Please. So today um, we are talking about Sneha Philip, um, who is – there is a lot of mystery around her and, and obviously we'll get into it. Um so before I start us off, though, I want to say, I guess, a trigger warning. This is a um, 9-11 adjacent story. So mm-hmm. um, if 9-11 is a particularly sensitive topic for you, um, please take care. Um, you know what's ahead. wild is that there are potentially people listening who only know about 9-11 from like a textbook. No, they're not. You're a baby, if that's the case. You sh- you're not old <laughs> enough to listen to this podcast. No, there are like 18 year olds. I know. 2023. So yeah, um, it's not 2023. It's 2022. I mean, oh, shit, it's 2022. <laughs> Holy cow! I- wow. <laughs> Off to a great start. Sarah's ready for this year to be over. Ooh. No, you're you're right. I mean, there's like legitimate adults. Like there's people that old- are old enough to serve in our military that were not alive. Can you believe that? Like, I remember, and this is probably a little cliche, but like, I remember exactly where I was. Of course. When 9-11 happened and when I found out about it. So where, how old were you? So I was in the sixth grade. Mm -hmm. Um, I, so I would have been what, 12, Mm -hmm. 11 or 12, Mm -hmm. 2001. So I would have been, I, I would have been 11. I wish you guys could see Sarah's brain sizzling as she tried to do that math. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not good at math. Um, yeah, no. So I was in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I remember I was walking out to the bus and I was playing this stupid like back and forth like, yeah, well, I bet you didn't know game with like some boy that I probably had a crush on. Mm-hmm. And we were getting on the bus, and I'll never forget it. He was getting on the bus in front of mine, and he said, well, I bet you didn't know that a plane flew into a tower in New York. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you're so stupid. That didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And I got on the bus, and the bus driver had the radio on. Wow. And that's what was on the radio. And given, you know, our proximity to D.C., right? Like, Right, right. Um, yeah, so like for a little bit of context, so Sarah and I live in like the suburbs of DC and we have our whole lives. So we, yeah, I mean, we did not know anyone who, um, you know, died on 9 11. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, it's basically our neighborhood, our backyard, um, you know, with the Pentagon and all of that. Right. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. You know what I remember so clearly is, well, I remember one that we were not pulled out of school. Remember no. that? Remember? I, like All I remember is like kid, constantly kids were being called to the office yes. to go home. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Of course, And Beth... <laughs> Beth left our asses at <laughs> Well, and like if you think about it, I mean, we had family in, in New Jersey at the time. Mm-hmm. We had lots of people. We had lots of family that worked in D.C. In D.C., yeah. Because yeah. um, you would have still been in elementary school. And I yeah. remember, actually, I remember you coming home from school because I remember I was up on that little hill. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. in front of the house. I was up there with mom and – everyone's parent was up there waiting for their kid to come mm-hmm. to school. Yeah. And that never – I mean, every single parent yeah. was waiting. Yeah. And I remember, like, I didn't understand what was happening, but I knew that, like, the gravity of the situation mm-hmm. was – Yeah. Was pretty severe. Yeah. I mean, we – like, my strongest memory of that day <laughs> is when – well, I know you're laughing because of the meatball subs. Okay. So my str- – <laughs> okay. Guys, we had meatball subs for dinner that night. I swear. It was the first time we've ever had meatball subs. I've refused to eat them since. And I'm a veg- – I've been a vegetarian now for 10 years, so it wouldn't even make sense that I would eat one now. But I just have in my mind that we ate meatball subs and I was like, I With can't- the TV on. With the TV on. And what I remember so clearly is that night, dad was tucking us into bed. Sarah and I shared a room. We had bunk beds. <laughs> and <laughs> – I said to dad, dad was like trying to explain it to us. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I said, dad, are we going to die? Mm-hmm. And he said, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, our dad is the smartest man. I know. I still say that. Yep. Our dad's the smartest man I know. He's the most realistic man. Like he's very practical. He's very, right. And very so for stoic. Him, yes. So for him to say, I don't know, mm-hmm. I have never been so scared in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's funny. I... I had forgotten that until right now. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, I have to say like, I, so like I mentioned at the end of last week's episode, I just really have like this preoccupation with 9-11. I've read a lot of books about 9-11. I find it really interesting. And one of the things I think about a lot now, and then I promise I'm actually going to talk about this case, um, is like as a parent now, like I think about like mom and dad were, I mean, a little bit older than I am now. Um, you know, and obviously you we're a little <laughs> bit older, but like, I think now, like if something like that happened now, like as me being an adult and having like young children, just the absolute terror that they must have felt. I mean, cause no one knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. I was right? just going to ask you, like, as you were thinking back on dad saying that you're a parent now, I mean, like- I mean, I mean, it's, it's terrifying. And, you know, and especially in the weeks afterwards when they were, you know, anthrax and the and i remember mom and dad getting bottles of water and storing them in the basement Mm -hmm. because they were like it's going to be a nuclear fall i mean no one knew what was going on and i just think like how terrifying as a parent and you know mom was at home with us Mm -hmm. mom was a stay-at-home mom at the time and dad was traveling back from maryland so dad had to drive through dc to get home from work you know we our parents couldn't get people on the phone i mean it's just just the terror of that i just yeah so yeah all that to say, I guess, all of that to say, this Great story prelude is, to this episode. Yeah, I, everyone has turned this off now. This is now just you and I talking. Um, I, might have to, I might have to cut all of that out. But yeah, so we're – so yeah, this is about 9-11. So if that's sensitive to you, um, you know, please, you know, maybe, maybe skip this one. So whew, 
You ready? You don't hear I'm nothing? ready. Let's ready do this. Let's get into this. Let's do this. I'm ready. Right. I don't know anything about this, so I'm really curious. I think you're going to love this. It, and like as I was researching this, I was like, Sarah's going to love this. And this is like the first episode I've done for the podcast that hasn't been like kind of like funny or like kind of, a, you know, like I've done like, yeah. I, okay, I've done Anthony Weiner and The Watcher, ones that were like really <laughs> easy for me to like have fun with. And I have to admit, I cried when I was writing my script really? for this. Oh, great. <laughs> great. Perfect. And you're not the crier. Out of the I two know. of us, you are not the crier. So. I know. I got like really emotional about this. So this one's, yeah, a little little serious for me, but we'll, we'll get into it. Let's so. do it. All right. So it was Monday, September 10th, 2001. Sneha Phillip was enjoying a day off from her job as an internal medical intern at Cabrini Medical Center in Brooklyn, New York. And I think I probably mispronounced seven words in that sentence. So you're welcome. Um, Cabrini? You think that's how you say that? <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So her husband and fellow doctor, Ron, um, was working that day as well. Um, he worked at a different hospital, um, but he was also a doctor. So um, Sneha was in her apartment by herself. So Sneha and Ron lived two blocks from the World Trade Center. Mm. Um so before Ron left for the day, um, Sneha said she had planned to run a few errands and spend the day cleaning up their apartment. They were having some family um, visit later in that week. So um, so Ron kisses her goodbye, walks out their front door. No problem. So around 2 p.m., Sneha logs onto her instant messaging account. Oof, 2001. Oh, my God. <laughs> what, do early you, aughts. <laughs> what do you think her screen name was? And I have no idea. <laughs> what was I don't yours? Know, but, oh God! I think it was probably like DeGrasse Dancer. 19- I was going to say ninety. It was something embarrassing. I don't know. <laughs> oh, so for all you youths out there, instant messaging before cell phones. Um, okay, so it was sna- text messaging, but on your like PC. Gather, gather around, children. Say I am. So Sneha. So she logs into her AIM account and she spent about two hours messaging with her mom that afternoon. Mm-hmm. So again, like this is 2001. So like she, she is obviously in her apartment doing this. Like she couldn't have been doing this from a phone right. somewhere. Right. So this, we know that this place is her in the apartment. So at 4 PM, she tells her mom, she has to go. She's got to run some errands and she logs offline from her computer at home. So she gets dressed and she heads to Century 21, which is described as a discount department store. I've never heard of Century 21 before. I thought that was a real estate company. I don't even know. I did too. For some reason, I automatically think of Forever 21, but I mean, that's. Maybe that Century 21 is. is when you're like 100 years old and you pretend like you can still dress like a 21 year old. Entirely possible. I don't know what this is. So. She is seen on surveillance camera at this department store, which I'm kind of imagine, imagining like a Macy's, right? Like uh-huh. they sell everything. Okay. So she's seen on surveillance camera purchasing lingerie, a dress, pantyhose, and bed linens using Ron's American Express credit card. Okay. After that, she heads to what they describe in these articles as the shoe annex to purchase three pairs of shoes. So the shoe department of this store was kind of like a separate, not building, like it was attached, but it, but there was notably no cameras in that part of the building. So she leaves like the big department store to go to their shoe department and buys three more pairs of shoes. 
And we know this because it's on the credit card. Because it's on the credit card. Right. Right. Um, And I should say, I got a lot of this information from an excellent um, New York Magazine article, which I'm going to link to in the um, show notes. I should have mentioned that up top. So shout out New York Mag. Um, Okay. So at 11 p.m. that night, Ron returned to their apartment after his shift at Jacoby Medical Center. So Sneha is not home at this time. And notably, Ron is not worried about this. So he'll later tell the police that he was like annoyed that she didn't call him to let him know she was going to be out late, but that this wasn't unusual for her. So he just goes to bed. Hmm. Okay. So he, I wish everyone could see your face right now. So he woke up at 630 the next morning and Sneha was still not home. And Ron claims he still was not worried about this. He thought maybe she decided to spend the night with her cousin who lived a few blocks away, or that maybe she went to her brother John's house in the West Village. So I'm going to pause there. What do you think about that? So my first question is, like, are we getting this timeline of her day? Obviously, I would think in 2001 you could pull, like, an AIM log. So I would assume that we can deduce that – that from two to four, she was online. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but are we getting the rest of this from Ron or are we? Yeah. This so is Ron's version of events. This is Ron's version of events with, I guess, the exception that she was seen on surveillance camera at this right. store. And the credit card transactions show that she purchased these items at this store. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't have the exact time. She left her apartment around four, so sometime. Oh gosh, I I don't have Let's this say written 4:30, down. Four thirty, five o'clock. Right around that time. But then at that, that is the last official, like sighting of her. The rest of this, like this, like came home at eleven p.m. Ba ba ba. That's, that's all according Ron. to Ron. Mm-hmm. And did we? I mean, and I don't, I don't know if we know this, but like, did, and maybe you'll get to this later. Like, did we confirm, like? Oh, like Ron got off at 1045, so he was home at 11. I mean, we'll get into this maybe later. But. Yeah, so his shift so his shift to the hospital ended and he would have been home around that time. Around so, 11. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's confirmed that he was at work that day. Uh-huh. I'm, so. I'm I'm <laughs> being 2001. I know cell phones existed. They weren't the iPhones right. of today, but And she did notably she did not have a cell phone, but he did. So how would she have called him? Well, like from a friend's phone or from, I mean, l- listen to us. We're like, hell, how would these people operate without the cell phone? Did she send I a mean, messenger pigeon? Like, <laughs> You know what's um, so funny? I'm honestly kind of like, how would she have called him? I mean, I guess she could have used <laughs> pay phones. She could have used a, a pay phone. She could have, like yeah. if she had gone, okay. apparently she was really close to like a lot of her family members. Like her cousin lived in New York. Her brother lived in New York. And the assumption is that like she could have called from... Yeah. Their landlines. And in the apartment that, that Sneha and Rob lived in had a landline. So she could have called gotcha. the landline phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it seems a little sketchy to me, but. Okay. But let's see what. Uh, I have just, my suspicions, but let's see what happens. <laughs> okay. So Ron leaves for work on the morning of Tuesday, September 11th. Um, he heads downtown to, or should, uptown, <laughs> heads uptown to Jacoby Medical Center in time for his 8 a.m. meeting. Okay. By the time the meeting ends at 9 a.m., the entire world has changed. So 
I'm going to pause here and I want to do a quick run through of the timeline of 9-11. And again, this is because I am fascinated in this. I find 9-11 really interesting. If you're like snooze, I'm here for the true crime. I don't know. Maybe skip, hit, hit that 30 second forward button a couple of times because we're going to get into <laughs> it. So, okay. So 5.45 a.m. on 9-11, the first of 19 hijackers passed through security in a Portland, Maine airport. Over the next several hours, hijackers in teams of two will pass through security checkpoints at Boston Logan International and Dulles International, where, interestingly enough, three of the hijackers actually set off the metal detectors but were not detained. I know. I know. I'm sorry. I can see, Sarah, I, this is this is going to be really hard. to. I'm just, this is where I, I cried writing no. this. So I know. I'm sorry. So... 7.59 a.m., Flight 11 takes off from Boston with 11 crew members, 75 passengers, and five hijackers on board. 8.15 a.m., Flight 175 takes off from Boston with nine crew members, 51 passengers, and five hijackers on board. Whew. So at 8.19 a.m., this is kind of the first sign of, of trouble. Flight attendants on Flight 11 make contact with air traffic control to report that they can't contact the cockpit. And one flight attendant on the call says, quote, I don't know. I think we've been hijacked, end quote. This call lasts almost 25 minutes, and the flight attendants provide crucial information about the suspects and what they think is going on. Um, so this goes without saying, but those people are heroes. I mean, these flight attendants are heroes. They are the reason. Oh, Sarah. Oh, Sarah's crying. I'm sorry. I know it's really hard. Uh, it just, you know, it because it's so impossible to think of. I know. Yeah. It's so impossible to think that this, this happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, keep your pants on. It gets worse. Um, so at eight, <laughs> I know, I know. Okay. And I just wanted people to know. So I have a, I have a hair appointment later this afternoon <laughs> and anyone who's ever gotten their hair done knows you can't sit in front of that mirror and that chair without like covering your dark circles and like all of the things you don't like on your face. So I actually have makeup on. I know Sarah looks great today. And now I'm going to have to redo it. before. No, well, so. sorry. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> I know it's so bad. Okay. So 8.20 a.m., flight 77 takes off from Dulles International Airport with six crew members, 53 passengers, and five hijackers. So, so now we've got three planes in the air. So this – I've never heard this fact before. I find this fascinating. So at 8.24 a.m., a hijacker on flight 11 – so that's the flight that the flight attendants had already called to report a problem on – a hijacker accidentally makes a call um, to what I kind of think of of like, you know, the like how truck drivers have like those internal radios where yeah. they can like talk to each other. It's basically like that system. The CB but for, radio. Yeah. Oh, okay. Excuse me. It's basically that for airplanes. So yeah. the hijacker was trying to communicate with the cabin, but he hits like whatever, this button instead. And this call horrifyingly is actually picked up by the pilot on flight 175 which had you know taken off from Boston and the this pilot alerts the authorities moments before his own plane is hijacked okay mm. 
8.42 a.m., Flight 93, the fourth and final hijacked airplane, takes off from Newark Airport with seven crew members, 33 passengers, and four hijackers on board. At 8.46 a.m., five hijackers crash Flight 11 into the North Tower of the World Trade Center. At 8.50 a.m., President George Bush is alerted that a plane has crashed in New York. At 8.52 a.m., flight attendants on board Flight 175 alert air traffic control in San Francisco that they have been hijacked as well. 9.02 a.m., the South Tower of the World Trade Center is ordered to evacuate. But at 9.03 a.m., five hijackers crash Flight 175 into the South Tower of the World Trade Center. At oh, at 9.37 a.m., five hijackers crash Flight 77 into the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. Um, at 9.42 a.m., all flights are grounded in the U.S. At 9.59 a.m., the South Tower collapses. At 10.03 a.m., Flight 93 crashes into ugh, Flight 93 crashes in Pennsylvania after passengers and crew storm the cockpit. And at 10.15 a.m., the E-ring of the Pentagon collapses. And at 10.28 a.m., the North Tower collapses. So that is kind of a timeline of events that morning. And I have in my notes here, ask Sarah to weigh in. But I don't know that we really need to weigh in on that. I'm shaking my head so hard. Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there. You, there's, there's nothing to. Yeah, um, yeah. There's so so just. To, I just wanted to provide a little context for like the day that we're talking about, and I don't know. It was chaos. almost like it was yeah, ca- absolute chaos, and it was almost like an important reminder to me as I was like researching this, like exactly you said, like what a chaotic day this was, and how that informs what happens next. Right. So, so now let's go back to Ron, who was in his 8 a.m. meeting. He just, he gets out. <laughs> I, I don't know if, like, because I'm so emotionally charged, like, now I just hate Ron. Like, Ron is personally responsible. Like, I, all of a sudden, you just said, let's go back to Ron. And I was like, fuck that guy. <laughs> we haven't even gotten into him. Like, oh. Ron, who, for the record, had nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with this. This is not God. Ron's fault. Um, so he gets out of his meeting at 9 a.m. and like the, his the world is is different, right? It's like yeah. what did what did we so the first um yeah, I mean yeah, the I mean, north the south the, tower's going down as he's coming yeah, out of his meeting. Exactly. Yeah, so the north tower had been hit, south tower's going down, right? So this is all happening two blocks from Ron and Sneha's apartment. So Ron begins calling the landline in their apartment, desperately trying to reach Sneha who did not have a cell phone at the time, like I mentioned. Mm -hmm. So no answer on the phone. So at this point, Ron has not seen or spoken to Sneha since the morning of September 10th. Okay. He calls her mother and brother and learned that she isn't with them either. So this is finally at a point where our guy Ron begins to worry, at which I say, I would have lost my mind 23 hours before this. (laughs) Had I not been able to get a hold of Tomothy. Are you kidding me? I was going to like I, I mean, are you kidding me? I've never been married, like, but like, Jesus, you're gonna. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so our guy Ron getting a little, little concerned, a little, little twitchy. 
So New York City is obviously in just absolute chaos at this point. Um, and, you know, he's a doctor, right? So he hangs around the hospital for a while, um, waiting for, and this is just so heartbreaking, waiting for the crush of patients that just never arrive. Oh. Yeah. I, I know. I'm sorry. So oh. by three, 9-11 also wasn't my fault. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, and I don't, I'm not laughing. Like I, no, I no, be very God, guys, like, we are not making light. You know, you guys know we are not making we are light. Not of making light of this. No, at all. No, 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 no. I'm not laughing because there. You know, I- <laughs> it's okay. This is what's weird about like doing like kind of like a comedy, pop culture, true crime. Yeah. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we are we are laughing at each other. We are not laughing at 9-11. No. Um, okay. So by 3 p.m., he decides to try to get downtown to look for Sneha. So he hitches a ride with an ambulance. I can't say that. <laughs> that's a what? The- <laughs> I'm sorry. Could you say that again? One more time for me. A what? <gasps> okay. Guys, I've never been able to say the word ambulance. <laughs> Thomasy is listening to this right now and just losing his mind. He makes fun of me constantly. So is dad. He also makes fun of the way I say kitten, but that's a whole other story. So this ride in the paramedic vehicle takes six hours. Stop laughing. We're telling a terrible story. I'm sorry. So this ride takes six hours Mm -hmm. because they're fighting against a crush of people fleeing from downtown Manhattan. Sure. Um, so he finally makes it downtown by 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. and the entire area is blocked off by NYPD. But he's in scrubs, right? So he's like, hey guys, I'm a doctor, let me through. So they let him through and he makes his way to their apartment. Um, so there's there was no electricity in the building, so he wasn't able to actually get in. And I wasn't really sure about like the mechanics of that. Like I don't like the elevators didn't work, maybe I don't I don't know why he wasn't physically able to get into the apartment, but he wasn't. So at this point. According to him, he just kind of shrugs and say, oh, says, okay, and he heads to a friend's house in the West Village for the night. So I, I'm going to pause. I just – what would you do if you were in his shoe? And I get – like I feel bad judging this because this is obvious. I mean it's literally a disaster zone like that has been unheard of in like modern history, right? Like Right. Or I I'm guess gonna- in American history. Yeah. So I feel bad judging, but at the same time, I'm like, my guy. (laughs) I'm going to say something maybe a little unpopular. Okay. I think that in any other instance, Mm -hmm. this would seem very odd. Okay. But you're giving him the 9-11 pass. On this day. Okay. In this moment. When everybody else in the city is looking for a loved one. Right. And can't get a hold of a loved one. Right. Multiple loved ones. This right now kind of makes sense to me. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like it. I don't love it. Yeah. But see, I think that, but then a I murderer think, a pass. But <laughs> see, but then I think too, I'm like, okay, so I don't like it. Like, I feel weird about it, but I'm also weird about I, it. But kind of to your point, literally, what else could he do? Right. I mean, he can't call the police and be like, hi, I'd like to report my wife missing. They'd be right. like, great. Well, I can this take a number, never, my guy. This would never work 
on any other day at any other time. Yeah, I think you're right. This moment, this time, right here, right now happening. Yeah. I, I, which What is he supposed to do? Which one might argue might make it a real yes. good day to get rid of your wife if you yes. don't want her around. Allegedly, yeah, I hate in my it. opinion. I don't love it. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to say this right now, not knowing what happens next. Mm-hmm. Well, but I don't even know if I can say it because it's not like he knew on September 10th that this thing was going to happen on September 11th, right? Like, right. You know how we always say, like, if all of this is true, if all of this isn't true, then he's just the most unluckiest. Unlucky. Yeah, it's the Scott Peterson effect. Yes. Yes. Then this is the luckiest man on the face of the planet. Well, but remember, the only person that says Sneha went missing on the 10th is Ron. Okay, then if he did this on the <laughs> 11th, but he still wouldn't have known. If he's in that meeting at 8 a.m., right. he still doesn't know. Right. But again, but, we, we only have Ron's word that she did not come home on the 10th. True. Okay, then he's the shittiest person on the planet. If he did something before his 8 a.m. meeting, convenient. <laughs> this, this event happens. Yeah. And he's going to turn around and use that. Like, then he's the shittiest person on the planet. So he's either the luckiest or the shittiest. I mean. Okay. Hot take. What, what a hot take. <laughs> I can't wait to get, I can't wait to tell you how this ends. You're going to lose your mind. Okay. So the next day, September 12th, Ron is able to actually get inside their apartment, which is an absolute disaster zone. So a window had mm. been left open. So the entire apartment was covered in soot and debris. Right. So this is two blocks from the world. Like they could see the World Trade Center from their yeah. apartment. Right. Yeah. So there's no sign of Sneha. There's no signs of her shopping bags. Like nothing. No indication she had been home. And this is, oh God, this is so sad. The only sign of life at all were the footprints of their two kittens in the ash throughout their apartment. So you had ambience and kittens in the Oh, same I forgot the kittens was also in the <laughs> script. Tomothy, this one's for you, my guy. Um, so, and no word on what happened to their kittens, and I'm a little worried about it, okay. but I can carry on. I only have so much emotional capacity I'm sorry, today. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay. So, like thousands of people across the city, Ron begins putting up missing person flyers of Sneha and trying to get some media attention around her disappearance, right? And this is what I think is so interesting. So, anytime he brought up her story, though, to like, you know, the... I'm Emily Cooper reporting live from ground mm-hmm. zero, right? They quickly lost interest because he was telling them, yeah, she disappeared on the 10th. And what they really wanted was stories of 9-11 victims, right? That's I gross. mean, I, well, that's yeah, gross. I mean, I, it's not cute. I mean, but, I get it, but that's gross. Right. So now, and I both love this and hate this, Sneha's brother, John, makes a real questionable choice. He goes on live TV with a reporter from WABC and says, quote, I was on the phone with her and she told me she couldn't leave because people were hurt. She said, I just have to help this person. And that's the last thing I heard from her. End quote. This is obviously not true. And yikes that he did. How do we know this isn't true? Because he later comes out and says, I made this up. So let me hold on. Keep your pants on. Let me get to it. So. 
So this works, right? News mm-hmm. reports started running Sneha's photo and information, and her case started to gain some momentum. Like, oh my God, this beautiful, young, heroic doctor who was off duty, walked by the World Trade Center and ran in to save people and is now missing. But the problem is, is that this was kind of like the wrong kind of momentum, right? So now the police and the public thought they were looking for a woman who ran into the towers to save people, not one who disappeared after shopping in the department store on September 10th, right? So it later comes out, John admits that he made this entire thing up just to try and get some publicity around her case. So what what do you think about that? Do you sympathize with that? <laughs> Again, like I go back to like on any other day at any other time. Mm, yeah. All right. So you're giving would John I, would I do 11 pass too. Okay. Would I do that if my loved one was missing? Like... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I like I'm having such a hard time judging these people in yeah. this moment on this day because it is so unprecedented. It is so unbelievable. It is right. so awful. It is so tragic. Like I don't know. I'm having a hard time. I I think I need to hear the whole Sarah doesn't want to go on record hating or loving any of these people. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. So so at this point like obviously Sneha is one of thousands and thousands and thousands. I think I have this somewhere later in my notes, but over 9,000 people were reported missing in New York City on 9-11, right? Like, I mean, this is just chaos. So, but he he keeps at it, right? So his first clue comes from Sneha's instant messages on Monday the 10th to her mom. So this is how he learns that she did, in fact, leave to go run errands. So then Ron calls American Express and learns of the Century 21 purchases. So the downtown Century 21 had temporarily closed, um, obviously, because it was, um, you know, right near ground zero. So he dispatched friends to drop off missing person flyers to other branches in the hopes that like an employee maybe had seen Sneha that day. So later that week, he received a phone call from Sonia Mora, a shoe department sales clerk who had been relocated to their Brooklyn store. So Mora said that she recognized Neha um, as a regular at this downtown Century 21 store. Mm -hmm. Um, She recalls that Sneha had come into the store with a friend on September 10th, describing the other woman as small, in her early 30s, dark-skinned, possibly Indian. Um, and I guess for, you know, Sneha is Indian as well. So this mm-hmm. looks like this could have been maybe a relative, a friend. So, and this is interesting, right? The shoe department, remember, did not use security cameras. So we are right. not able to verify this count. Mm-hmm. But Ron was able to look at surveillance from other parts of the store. Um, and he discovered a video from the coat department <laughs> Um, from about an hour earlier than Sneha was in the shoe department that featured Sneha browsing alone. So this mystery friend, if she ever existed, has never been found or confirmed. Yeah, okay. I mean, but I, I think that's, you know, she was a regular by Sonia's own admission. I think it's easy to say, you know, well, could that have been another day? That another she day. Was shopping with someone else? Like, yeah, I, you know. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense to me. Okay. So now I just want to quickly recap the purchases that Sneha made that day. So she purchased lingerie, a dress, pantyhose, and bed linens and three pairs of shoes. 
What do you think of that? That collection of items. Treat yourself. Right. Um, <laughs> we all know I how I weren't... feel about bed linens. I, <laughs> I bet they weren't Brooklinen. Brooklinen. <laughs> Still have um, not told Tomothy about the Brooklinen sheets, by the way. They're on sale. Girl, you don't think I know you don't you think I don't know that they're on sale? <laughs> I mean good for her. Like I Okay, I think so you don't have any standard. Real okay. Yeah. She got a dress and pantyhose to wear with the dress. She probably bought lingerie to wear underneath it. Maybe they had an event. Hmm. Maybe there was a hospital gala. Maybe there was, I mean. Okay. And who doesn't like nice sheets? I mean, three pairs of shoes sounds a little excessive, but I mean, I'm not going to tell a girl not to buy shoes. See, I read that list and my mind immediately goes to an affair. Really? I mean, again, may, may born old the married lady here. I cannot tell you the last time I went to a store to buy lingerie, a dress, and pantyhose. Where are you go? Like, maybe her and Ron had a hot date night coming up. Maybe. Okay. I just wanted to see. I wanted to feel out if you thought that was weird. So maybe my no. read on that's wrong. Okay. I don't think. I don't personally don't think that's weird. That's that's a Tuesday. Okay. Here we go. Um, <laughs> that's a Tuesday. <laughs> wow. Um, so Ron files two missing persons reports, right? After he kind of digs up. So like he's the one that digs up all this information, right? This isn't mm-hmm. the police that found this. This is Ron. So he files two missing police reports, but obviously the NYPD is inundated at this point and they want to chalk her disappearance up to another 9-11 tragedy. And now this is what I think is so interesting. Her family really wants to do the same. So I, and I feel this really strongly, but basically her parents and her brother wanted to believe that Sneha rushed into those burning towers to help people and like die a hero. I, you know, I, and I get that, that they would rather do that than think like, oh God, she's been kidnapped or she would, whatever. She was, you know, mugged on the street and something terrible happened to her. Um, does that really, yeah, you, that doesn't resonate with you? No. no it doesn't because i think that's because and you saw this a lot with 9-11 right or you see this Mm -hmm. a lot with with tragedies in general people want to connect themselves to tragedy i think that's part of the human human condition you want to connect yourself with a tragedy (laughs) so it's easier for you to think that your loved one rushed in and and helped and died a hero. Mm-hmm. Would you would would you say this? Would you say that to the guy with the red bandanas family? Mm-hmm. Well, hey, you know, at least your son died a hero. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think there's a lot of people that take solace in that. Maybe, and I, you know, I think grief is grief is a a, a funny, weird thing. Um, yeah, that's what you need. To get yourself through, you know, who am I to tell you that's wrong? For me personally, I don't think I could do that. Yeah. See, I think for me, if it were you that was missing, I would want to know what happened to you. Like, I wouldn't care, right? Like, not care, but like, it wouldn't matter to me if it was you died in the World Trade Center or but like, I would want to know. Like, and I wouldn't right. be able to rest until I knew for sure what happened to you. Right. Right. 
But I think it's like asking, you know, families of victims, well, like asking Heyman Lee's family, you know, well, Adnan is, is a way, you know, put mm-hmm. away for it. But what if he didn't do it? Mm-hmm. Don't you still want justice? Yeah. I To me, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, yeah. well, saying that she ran into the buildings and she was a hero and she was this and that, that's that's fine if that's what you need to do. But like, one, it doesn't change the outcome. Right. So wouldn't you want to know? Yeah. It's pretty Band-Aid, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly how I feel too. I'd rather know. I would I would rather know instead of just saying, well, 9-11 happened, so I can wash my, you know. Yeah. And I, I, I'm obviously being very yeah. crass, but, you know, I can wash my hands of it because she was, you know, a victim of 9-11. Yeah. I, I, I don't. Mm, yeah. Okay. No, that's not for me personally. <laughs> not for me. Um, okay. So Ron at this point decides to hire a private investigator and then he even consults a psychic, which I just put that in there for you because I feel like that's something you would do. Um, <laughs> it is. So the PI raises the possibility that Sneha might be alive and living a new life somewhere. Right. Um, but he found no support of this. This was just like his fun theory. Um, and the fact that Sneha left behind her glasses, passport, driver's license, credit card, with the exception of Ron's Amex card, seemed to rule out this theory that she might have intentionally disappeared. Fellow glasses wearers unite, you would never leave home for good without your glasses. <laughs> <laughs> so the PI did find two really important pieces of evidence, though. Okay. One I find extremely compelling and one I find kind of meh compelling. So number one, the phone call. Mm-hmm. So although Ron claims to be the only one home the night of the 10th, someone made a call from their home phone to Ron's cell phone at 4 a.m. Tuesday morning. Ron does not remember making this call himself, but figures he may have just sleepily been checking his messages. So that he used, he picked up the home phone, called his cell phone to check the voicemail on his cell phone. Okay. I'm going to call Big bullshit on that. But I have right. in my notes. Seems weird to me, but okay. Yeah. I'm going to call big bullshit on that. Yeah. Number two, and this one I find like a little less compelling, but um, the PI discovered some interesting evidence on the apartment building security camera. Um, a videotape of a woman who resembled Sneha in the lobby. Um, that sentence, sentence did not make <laughs> any sense. So <laughs> the PI pulled this Video, good lord, la, 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 la. pulled this recording, and there is a woman who resembles Sneha who is seen in the lobby of their apartment building just before the first plane struck the World Trade Center. Because of the angle of the sun, the image is too bleached for Ron or the PI to be sure that it was her. But this woman's silhouette looks very similar to Sneha, so similar haircut, mannerism. She's wearing a dress like the one Sneha was wearing the afternoon before. Um, So in this video, she enters the building. She stands near the elevator, waits a minute or two, and then turns around and leaves. Okay. So maybe this was Neha on the videotape. Maybe she went shopping. She bumped into a friend, um, which is that maybe that mystery woman the sales clerk remembers, went out for drinks and thinking that Ron would be working late, ended up spending the night at this friend's place. 
Maybe Sneha returned home the next morning, was in the lobby when the plane struck, and as a doctor, reflexively ran towards the towers to help. This theory is a little flawed, though. Um, the woman on the videotape wasn't carrying any shopping bags, so these shopping bags are still missing. But it does really fit this like idealized image that Sneha's family has of her, right? So, okay. So in the end, the PI investigation does not turn up anything conclusive. Um, and this left the Phillips family with few options besides just trying to like move forward, right, with their grief. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I think this is really interesting. And this is kind of like a sidebar, but her family starts becoming very involved in the 9-11 community, right? So on the first anniversary of the attacks, her parents went with their sons and Ron to a memorial in Poughkeepsie, um, where Sneha's name was read aloud as part of a tribute to local victims. That's where her family was from. Um, Three days later, the Phillips family had a small ceremony at the church for the resurrection near their home in Dutchess County, where they, I don't, I don't like this. They buried a, a urn full of ashes from ground zero. I don't hate this. I hate this. And like, I feel even weird talking about it, but to me, that's someone else's loved one or like, you know what I mean? Like there's no way you could ever, even if you knew for sure your family member died at ground zero, you don't, those aren't, you don't. uh. No, I, I, no, this, and and that goes back to like my earlier point. Yeah. You're no, I don't like it. So it's, it's no for me. By 2003, attending memorials had become like kind of a ritual for the family. They were really involved in it. Um, And interestingly, that October, Ron filed a claim with the 9-11 Victim Compensation Fund to try and get money for his wife being a victim of 9-11. So... But we don't know if she's a victim of 9-11. <laughs> and that's where this story starts to fall apart. Okay. So. Let's hear it. When So Ron files this thing with Victim Compensation mm-hmm. Fund. And that, so they start looking into her death. And that's where all of this comes about, right? Mm-hmm. So at the same time, Sneha's family is going to 9-11 memorials. Ron's like, give me that. Cheddar from the Victim Compensation Fund, all this, the police are uncovering evidence of a life that few seem to know about. So let's take it back to spring of 2001. Sneha was told that her contract at her job would not be renewed due to alcohol-related absences and tardiness. Um, shortly after that, she actually spent the night in jail. Um, she claimed that she that on an evening out with coworkers, a fellow intern grabbed her inappropriately, um, and so she filed a criminal complaint. But after conducting an investigation, the Manhattan DA's office dropped the charges against this alleged groper and instead charged Sneha with filing a false complaint. So the prosecutors offered to drop the charge if Sneha recanted, but she refused, and she was arrested and spent the night behind bars jesus (laughs) so and i cannot we cannot tell a story without asking you to put on your hr hat so go for it what do you think about that 
I mean, I think we, I I think we went from zero to a hundred really quickly. That paragraph Um, admittedly got aggressive. That got very aggressive. Um, um, And as far as her contract not being renewed due to the alcohol-related absences and tardiness, I mean – I don't know what the laws are in New York. I know in Virginia, Virginia is a right to work state. So employee or employer at any point in time has the right to terminate an employment contract. Um, That's not odd to me. Um, You know, so maybe she has a substance abuse problem. Um, Mm -hmm. This whole like going to jail. Have you ever heard of that in your life before? No, I'm, I don't, I, I don't. Yeah. Not knowing enough about the investigation, I assume that, like, they must have found something. But, like, to go to her and say, well, if you recant it, like, we'll drop the charge it. Like, well, because they claim that she filed a false, like, police report. Can you get thrown in jail for that? I don't I mean, I don't Hell know. Hell yeah, girl, you can. You can't fucking lie to the police. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I just feel like that escalated it's... very quickly. Yeah. Okay. So. All, so all of this comes out. Sneha's family, so her parents and her brothers, claim to have not known about this. Ron was like, oh, yeah, I, you're okay. I knew, right? So, like, he was not forthcoming with this information, which I think is fine. But, okay. Okay. So at the same time all this is happening with her job, allegedly, Sneha and Ron's marriage was also suffering. According to court filings, Sneha was frequently staying out all night drinking and socializing at a local lesbian bar, which I looked up and I included this just for you. It was called the Meow Mix. Oh my God. If that is not the best lesbian bar name, I don't know what is. I love it. That is phenomenal. It's really good. So this all came to a head the month before she disappeared when allegedly her brother John walked in on her having sex with his girlfriend. Out. Um, so on the morning of September 10th, 2001, Sneha actually appeared in court that morning related to the charges of filing that false police report. Ron was with her and witnesses allegedly described them getting into an argument about her rampant drug and alcohol abuse. I'm sorry. Can we pause right here? <laughs> Hang on a sec. See, and I'm having to go through this quickly because I spent so long talking about 9-11 and our girl Sarah's got an appointment here and have an hour. Hold on a second. No, hold on a second. <laughs> this bitch was in court on the morning of September 10th and now all of a sudden we're just finding this out? Yes. <laughs> oh, and Ron was with her? Ron was with her. So Ron knows about all of this. Okay. So now here, and here's my legalese disclaimer, Ron and Sneha's family deny most of these allegations. They claim that Sneha was let go from her job due to gender and racial discrimination and because she reported sexual harassment to the hospital. The hospital denies these claims. Okay. Interestingly, I love this so much. Ron also denies claims that Sneha was bisexual, saying that she liked to go to gay bars to avoid being hit on by men, and that she would sometimes spend the night with women she met at these bars, but it was all, quote, innocent, end quote. Okay. that's I'm going to call big bullshit on all of that, too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> For the love of God. Okay. 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 
So basically, I say all of this and we share all of this because this this could be reason why Sneha might want to disappear or she might have wanted to commit suicide. Um, and again, like we don't know from her, right? She's, I guess, spoiler alert, she's not here to tell us, right? She's to this day is, is considered a missing person. Um, so I share all of this to kind of give, shed some light on that, you know, according to some of these reports, she might have really been suffering from substance abuse. Sure. Um, you know, having trouble in her marriage, being unhappy in her marriage, potentially, which to me are all reasons why someone might choose to disappear to start a new life. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That's, I, okay. <laughs> Sarah is so unimpressed. <laughs> um, so unable to tie Sneha's death to the 9-11 attacks, the medical examiner's office actually removed Sneha's name from the official list of 9-11 victims in January of 2004. Wow. So, quote, this particular lady was known to be missing the day before, explains Ellen Borov, the medical examiner spokesperson. Um, Quote, they have no evidence to show that she was alive on 9-11, end quote. So, because of this, in November Mm. 2005, a Manhattan judge denied Ron's petition to set Sneha's date of death as September 11, 2001. So this judge ruled that Sneha officially died on September 10, 2004, as set forth by state law, which is at three years after mm-hmm. the day of her unexplained absence, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So her official legal date of death is September 10, 2004. Mm. So... Because Ron could not produce a 9-11 death certificate, the Victims' Compensation Fund denied his claim. Yeah. And this is what I think is so interesting. Based on Sneha's age and potential earnings, the claim would have been worth 3 to $4 million. Okay. Um, so basically the court is saying it's just as likely that Sneha left her husband – Mm-hmm. maybe committed suicide, maybe was the victim of another violent crime as it is that she rushed into the World Trade Center. Like, we just don't know. We don't know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I want to talk about like this victims list real quick because this was like mm-hmm. a really touchy subject for her family and for Ron, obviously, who thought he was going to get $3 million. Ooh. Yeah. So more than 9,000 people were reported missing in New York City on 9-11. Um, but this list obviously got a lot shorter. Um, some people eventually were found. Um, some people had been on the list more than once. And there were some cases of fraud, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that this is, like, so fascinating. Like, there's people that just woke up that morning and were like, this is my chance, and got up and disappeared from their lives, right? Yeah. And I think that, like, oh, this is so tricky because this – like, people are fighting – these like insurance companies, all of that, trying to prove that their family members died on 9-11 for, because they need things like, you know, their spouse's life insurance payment. They want to collect their last, their spouse's last paycheck, right? Like mm. all of these things. And so it, it can kind of come across as like, wow, these like greedy people that are like pushing, pushing, pushing to have their spouse or their loved one declared dead on 9-11. But there is like legal, practical reasons for that. Right. 
Yeah. And you know what? It makes me think that we need to look at the fail safes and insurance or, or, right. you know, uh, it makes me think that like the system needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's, if it's so difficult that your only option is to claim that your loved one is a victim of 9-11. Yeah. Th- like, think about what that statement means. Right. Right. That's the only way to do what you need to do. To pay your bills to future kids. To pay kids. your bills. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. To pay your bills to, you know, then that, that says to me there are issues in the system that need to be addressed. Right. Because, right? I mean, like, like, think about it. So, you know, I mean, we're talking 2,000 plus people, right? died mm-hmm. in New York City on 9-11, that's 2,000 plus families who are trying to file life insurance claims and you have insurance companies being like, okay, but you can't prove that your spouse died that day, right? Because for so right. many of these victims, there is nothing, and that's why I find it so heartbreaking about this, there right. is nothing tangible. There right. is not a body. There is not, like, there is nothing besides my husband went to work that day as usual. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. I know. You're right. It, I think tricky is the right. Yeah. Yeah. You're, it sucks. So like, I think it's easy to look at Ron and Sneha's family and be like, oh my God, you guys like enough. But I think there's also a legit reason why Ron would want this matter settled. I mean, three mil don't hurt. I mean, yes, I agree with you. I just think there's the system needs to be taken a look at then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I just don't subscribe to like signing your loved one up to be a victim of like, yeah. I, I just that to me, there, there's something so gross about that to me. But see, I don't think they did it nefariously. Like, I think like what I'm thinking of is like, you know, that really great documentary where it's like the woman who wasn't there about that woman who claimed to be like yeah. a victim of nine 11. Like, I don't think this is what they are doing. That's fair. Right. That's there's fair. not a nefarious attention seeking. There's the nefarious intent isn't there. Yes. Yeah. So, so okay. let's, so let's wrap this up. So what happened to Sneha Phillip? Well, in July of 2008, she was added back to the official list of those who died on 9-11. Wow. Making her the 2,571st and final victim of 9-11. So, um, quote, even without direct proof, irrefutably establishing that her route that morning took her past the World Trade Center at the time of attack, evidence shows it to be highly probable that she died that morning and at that site, whereas only the rankest speculation leads to any other conclusion, end quote. And that's from um, the justice who decided her um, her case. Hmm. So as of today, Sneha is considered a victim of 9-11. And it is considered case closed. So what side do you take on that? What do you think happened to Sneha? I I don't think she was a victim of the attacks on 9-11. Interesting. Okay. What do you think happened to her? I think that 
I think that she probably walked away. Interesting. From her life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just given, you know, either she walked away or she, you know, something happened, you know, that night, you know, she went out to get a drink. So she like like the victim of a violent crime, an unrelated a violent, violent crime, crime. Her mm-hmm. self-inflicted crime. Okay. I, I, I do not think that she is a victim of the terrorist attacks that happened on 9-11. Interesting. What about our guy, Ron? You think our guy, Ron's innocent? <laughs> um, I think Ron is probably innocent of whatever yeah. happened to her. Yeah. Um... Uh, you know, I think the phone call at 4 a.m. is weird. That's weird. I think that's very weird. Um, yeah. I don't like that at all for our guy, Ron. I don't, I don't like it. I think it's weird, but like, I don't know how to make that fit somewhere. Into here. a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't think she was a victim of 9-11. I'm sorry. Okay. What do you think? So I completely differ from you. I am on the complete <gasps> opposite side. Really? Let me let me tell you what I think happened. I think Sneha went shopping. I think that she went shopping with the intent purpose of buying items to go to a girlfriend's house. I think Sneha was bisexual um, or maybe gay and married to a man. I, you know, um, I think she was living a secret life. Um, I think that the items that she talked about that were not talked about the items that she purchased to me, those are, that's sexy. That's a, that's an affair. That's right. All of this. I think she bought those items and I think she went to her girlfriend's house. Um, I think she used the cover of, oh, I'm spending the night at my cousin's house, at my brother's house a lot. Um, to cover up the mm. fact that she was probably in, maybe not a com- maybe not a long term, but maybe a committed monogamous potentially relationship with another person, sounds to me like it was probably another woman. So I think that she spent the night at this woman's house that night, um, and and here's here's the key, I think that was her on the videotape in the apartment complex, and but she didn't have her shopping bags with her, which tells me she left them at this other person's house, which to me is a relationship, right? She went shopping. She's like, I'm going to leave my clothes here. I'm going to, you know, all these things. And so I think she turned back up at the apartment the morning of September 11th because she knew Ron was going to be at work, right? And she had every intention of going up to the apartment, going about her day, Mm -hmm. whatever it is she had planned that day. And then I think the plane hit the North Tower. And I think she turned around and she ran out. And I think she was probably in the towers when the – she was in the building when the tower fell. Because I – because the most compelling piece of evidence to me is that I believe that was her. It's compelling to me that that was her on the videotape On the video at the apartment. Mm -hmm. Yep. And why did she not have her bags? She didn't have her bags because she had another place to put them. Oh, snap. So that. So you think she is a victim? I do. I do. I think she died in the towers that day. Yeah. She was a doctor. 
you know, for, and by all accounts, a a good doctor, a passionate doctor. Um, I think that most people, especially people in the kind of helping profession like that could not witness that kind of thing and not go to help. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's a very compelling argument. Yeah. So. Wow. I don't think we've ever come down on opposite sides up until now. This was a good one, right? This is a good one. Now that you mean, now that you say it, yeah, I could totally see. You could totally see that, right? I could totally see that. But still, I I am hesitant to say. That she didn't just walk away. Because I think you're right. I think there's, I think there's compelling evidence that she just walked away. Yeah, because I think in that moment, you know, why, so, so, okay, let's, yeah, let's say she was the one on that video. Mm -hmm. She had just come from maybe a very spicy, intimate evening Mm -hmm. with her partner. She came back because she knew Ron was going to be gone. All of a sudden the world changes on a dime. Yeah. I think in that moment. It's very plausible that you say, holy shit, you're like, you know, like you, I don't know, like, like it's so hard to, it's so hard to even put yourself in that position to imagine, but like, what you know, who's to say she didn't say, oh my God, this isn't how I want to live my life anymore. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't know she wasn't going to come out of that tower if she went in. Right. Who could have ever imagined that those towers would have come exactly. down the way they See, did? And I think that's that's key too for and maybe for both sides that right? she could have very well run into that building and been like, oh, I'm going to help these people because I don't think anyone – well, number no. one, no one would have thought a second plane was going to hit. And no. I don't think anyone expected those towers to fall. No. And, and, and the absolute destruction – of New York City. Right. Right. There, you said their apartment was, what, two blocks away? Two blocks, which is like – I mean, I know us suburban folk are like <laughs> – But, like, I mean, that is – you could, like, spit on the World Trade Center from their apartment. Right. I mean, I – yeah. I don't know. That's – this is a tough one. It's so interesting, Damn. right? Yeah. Wow. So that's Sisters Take a Side on an Enduring Mystery of 9-11. Wow. That Ooh. was good, Em. That was that a good was one. Good. Yeah, I really enjoyed thank you all for coming down my 9-11 rabbit hole with me. Um, and I guess I do just want to end this by saying, like, I my thoughts are with anyone who was impacted Absolutely. by 9-11. This stuff weighs heavy on me. I you know, so I just I am sending love and good vibes your way. If you lost a loved one or a friend or a coworker on 9-11. Um, much love and happiness your way. <laughs> so, oh. Oh, so Sarah, oh. what are we doing next week? So, okay, friends, family. Um, I'm stuck between two because there are two okay. that I'm like super invested in. So, I either want to do Jody Arias, oh. who I am like obsessed with. Oh my God. 
Jody or <laughs> Casey Anthony. Oh shit! Oh shit! Because Joe, um, Casey Anthony just sat down for an interview. Yes. Like recently. Yeah. So we're recording this in November of 2022. So yeah, yes. that thing about her just came out or is coming out. Yes. Now, I know you have a hard time with kid yeah, cases. I don't, I don't do the kid stuff. So I guess, yeah, for our listeners, you will never hear me cover a case about kids. I don't, Chris Watts, I girl, I don't know your name. Get out of here. Josh Powell, nope, never, right. not happening. I don't do kid stuff. Not for me. Um, but so like I would never cover against Casey Anthony, but obviously if you want to go for it, I am here for it. But I guess I guess for the record, dear listeners, we will never go into like graphic detail of like what's happened Absolutely not. to like anyone, but especially not children. So I do trust that you would cover this in a way that would not like traumatize me for the rest of my life. <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> so I guess next week, like prepare to be surprised because okay. I don't know. I mean, Jody Arias is a really good one too. Oh, it's so good, but it may She's... have to be a two-parter. Ooh, I know. Yeah, which is fine. A lot. I think that's fine. I mean, that's like I keep telling you I want to do Princess Diana because oh. I'm obsessed with the royal family. But that would be like 17 episodes. Yes, yeah. we should do Princess Diana as like a joint. <gasps> oh my god. Okay. Okay. This is great because I can go tell Tomothy I have to finish watching <laughs> season five of The Crown as research for the pod. <laughs> So um, okay, that's so you're, what I'm thinking. You're, you're gonna surprise us next week. I'm gonna surprise you. Okay. Be prepared to be dazzled. I'm so excited. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in and listening. So happy to have you guys here, part of the family. Um, if you loved today's episode, we would so totally love it if you wanted to leave us a rating or review. Yes, uh, five stars, five points for Gryffindor. Um, yeah. <laughs> And if you didn't love it, as always, keep keep going. Move right along, my friend. There's something else out there for you. Maybe (laughs) maybe Joe Rogan's podcast, More Your Speed. Oh, God. So, yeah. All right. Well, I think that wraps us up. Um, I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And that's Sisters Take a Side.